We're going to look at, at, at Saul slash Paul's conversion. But one thing that struck me this week, and this is where I'm going to spend most of the time uh, talking tonight, is the similarity between Saul's conversion and Cornelius and his household's conversion. Those struck me, reading those together, it really struck me how, how similar they are. And it all seems to point to a common message. The overall theme of this section is the title of the book, The Acts of the Apostles. Right? Stephen has been martyred. We talked about that last time that we were in the book of Acts. And there's been a great scattering, but in, in classic God fashion... He turned that very sad, tragic event into an opportunity for good. And in fact, it led to a rapid spread of the kingdom growth all throughout, uh, way beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, which is what Jesus had said would happen when the Holy Spirit came on them and they, they began to witness. So the overall theme of this section is the Acts. We see Peter... Or sorry, the first person we see actually is Philip. He goes down to Samaria. All right, and so people in Samaria begin to, and great scene with the, the Ethiopian eunuch. I love that. He's just riding in his chariot, reading Isaiah. <laughs> he's reading, he's reading the, the Jesus chapter of, of Isaiah. Actually, there's lots of Jesus chapters in Isaiah. He's reading 53, you know? And it's just a perfect scene. Like, God really liked Philip. You know, he was... He was spiriting him away here and there. And the opportunities to share that he gives him are just like so, just the low-hanging fruit. He's in his chariot. He's reading Isaiah. He's reading about the Messiah, the suffering servant. And, he, and uh, Philip goes, what, what, what you reading, man? He goes, do you understand what, what that means? And he goes, well, how can I? I wish that someone would come and tell me what this means. And Philip's like, well, I can. <laughs> it's, like, it's one of those great... It, evangelism moments. I don't know if, if any of you have had that happen before where it's just like, wait a minute, you want me to share the, right now? You want me to share the gospel? Okay, yeah, great. Let's, let's do this. Okay, we're, we're going to do this now. So Philip goes, and he's a, he's a great evangelist. And if you ever want to study what, what a gifted evangelist looks like, like one of those kind of capital E evangelists, look at Philip's life. Um, but then... The story switches back to Saul. Saul was mentioned at the end of the martyrdom of Stephen. He was approving it. He was kind of the, the, the manager signing off on Stephen's execution. And here, in the beginning of chapter 9, he says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Right? I mean, he has a deep... Uh, the best word for it, if you really understand what, the, what this means, is zeal. Okay? If you remember Phineas in the Old Testament, spear through the, uh, the evildoers, both of them at the same time, that was zeal. Paul is breathing threats, and he's not just in a rage, he is zealous. Saul said, Paul says later in one of his letters, I was, I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. These people came along and started preaching something 
that sounded completely foreign and disrespectful and dishonoring. Stamp it out. Throw a spear through it. Kill it. Whoa. There's reverb. (laughs) It's good to know. I'll save that one for later maybe. So it's the Acts of the Apostles. Philip, Peter, and then Saul comes on the scene. And the the key players of the, the story of the early church come into full view. But, do you hear that too? Hello? Oh, this is going to be good when we get to the, the bright light from heaven and the voice. Okay. <laughs> this big cast of characters. I love all the different characters in this, in this part. There's the, the big the A-list players. There's Philip, Saul, slash Paul, and Peter. But then you have all these other kind of B-level characters that come in. You've got Cornelius. You've got Ananias. You've got Simon the Tanner. I don't even think he ever says anything. He's just Simon the Tanner, and he, he puts Peter up for a few days. Simon the Tanner getting a shout-out in the canonical word of God. It's great. Um, there's a huge cast of characters, but the main character of this section of Scripture is the Spirit. He is the main actor. This is the acts of the Holy Spirit. He is the one interacting with all of this diverse cast of characters and orchestrating. It's like a symphony of the move of God. The Spirit's going here, he's here, he's here, he's here. And bringing people together, having them share with each other what he told them while they were apart. And all these loops begin to close and all these, these connections are made by the Holy Spirit. And so it really is, there's this part here, this part here, this part here. God is conducting this symphony of the move of the kingdom, the spread of the kingdom of God. And you just have little, uh, little glimpses into the way that he is uh, coming down and stepping into people's lives. <clears throat> um, so you've got Saul, you've got those traveling with him, you've got Ananias, you have the disciples at Damascus, you have the Jerusalem disciples, Barnabas comes in. Makes another appearance. Cornelius, Simon the Tanner, Simon Peter. And uh, the people who are with Cornelius' family and his friends. He has them over. There's just lots of people, lots of interesting human life here. And the Spirit is working on everyone. So the similarities here are really, are really interesting. Here in, in chapter 9, Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Keep a finger there and then turn to chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. So he's a a leading man, but not of the Jews like Saul was. Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a well-known scholar and defender of, of tradition. Cornelius is a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, And he's not breathing threats and murder against the disciples. What's he doing? He's a devout man who feared God with all his household, and he gave alms generously to the poor and prayed continually to God. So if you read them side by side, you can see some pretty interesting similarities, but also some differences here. 
All right, let's keep going. So Paul is hell-bent on stamping out the Jesus sect. Cornelius is devout and God-fearing, even though he's not a Jew. He fears God, and he's, as they say later, he's well thought of by all the Jewish people. He's everything but a Jew, right? Um, so let's keep going on in the story. Now, as he went on his way, this is, this is Saul, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he is, he's struck blind. In chapter 10, it says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly. <laughs> so Saul is struck blind. Cornelius sees an angel clearly. Jesus calls to, to Saul, and the angel calls to Cornelius, and they both begin talking to them by addressing them with their first name. Jesus says, Saul, verse 4, and he falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was probably more like, Saul, Saul. He said to do that. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The angel of God comes to Cornelius over in chapter 10 and says, Cornelius. Doesn't have quite the the ring as Saul. Cornelius. (laughs) And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So Jesus tells Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He comes in with a rebuke. Stop what you're doing. And with Cornelius, he comes in and he says, you're doing a good thing, man. And he has an encouragement from the angel. And then the spirit arranges with Saul, arranges this meeting with Ananias. He's already told Ananias that Saul's going to come over and see you. Same thing with Cornelius. He arranges the meeting with Peter. And he's already gone, and, and later we, we, get the, we actually see the story of when he comes to Peter and says, hey, there's going to be some people coming. You need to ask them what, ask them what they, they, they want to say. So Cornelius goes, Saul goes, and God's orchestrating these, these meetings, okay? Ananias is hesitant in, this, in a similar way that Peter is hesitant. Uh, Ananias says, wait, you guys Saul? What are you talking about? I, I don't, I, that can't be right. It can't be the same Saul that we're talking about. This is the one who signed off on Stephen's execution. This is the one who's breathing threats and murder. Do you have the right guy? And the Spirit says, yes. Go, go and, and, and lay your hands on him. Same thing with Peter. Peter says, the, God does it in a little bit of a different way with Peter. But he gives him this vision of the animals coming down in the great sheep. He says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no, what, what are you talking about? I've never eaten anything unclean. So you see the similarity between the two stories. And then both afterwards, right after the conversion, Paul goes to uh, the Damascus disciples first. And there's a cold reception there. Same thing in Jerusalem, except for the faithful brothers and particularly Barnabas comes and he vouches for for Saul. Same thing with Peter. When Peter brings the message 
of the word of God coming to Gentiles and the conversion of the Gentiles, particularly Cornelius' household, it says the circumcision party were pretty ticked off. All right, so both of them have this incredible experience and the people around them aren't really understanding or really on board with what God is doing. But there's two key verses here that I think are the reason and kind of the, the connecting link between what these two stories are trying to teach the church, the early church of that day, and as a result, the lesson that we, we need to hear from this section, one of the lessons that we need to hear from this section as the 21st century church. Is it still the 21st century? 2021 didn't change that, right? Okay. Um, chapter 10, verse 34. This is after Cornelius tells him what was going on on his end. Right? Hey, Peter, as you were getting your vision, well, here's what God was telling me, and it happened to be right about the same time. This is amazing. So Peter, in response to Cornelius, he opens his mouth, and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. All right? Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So that's one of the key verses, I think, here. Key lessons for the church. And then in chapter 11, verse 16. And this is when Peter's reporting to the, Gen, uh, to the, uh, to the Jews in Jerusalem who are unsure about this Gentile business. And I remembered... The word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also. God has granted repentance that leads to life. Everybody say amen, because this is why you're saved. <laughs> this is why we're here. Any Jews? Any, any bloodline Jews here? I didn't think so. To Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So the key lesson for the church here is this whole idea of partiality. King James really gets the translation right. It says, God is no respecter of persons. And the word in Greek is, a, is, is about somebody's face. Right? It's a compound word, and one of the words is face. Basically like a face judgment. <laughs> you go around and Ironic here that we all have masks on. We literally cannot <laughs> see each other's faces. Maybe that'll help. We won't be so, so partial. 
God is no respecter of persons. In James chapter 2, James, who must have witnessed all of these things there, in the, in the, he was in the core of the Jerusalem church. He saw all these things happening. He saw all these transitions take place. This is what James has to say about partiality or respecting of persons. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And here's where we get, a, a, get some good insight into what part, how partiality works in the Christian community. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and say, you sit here in a good place, and while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, and this is one of the few places in Scripture where it basically just comes out and says, This is a sin. <laughs> If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. What I love about this portion of Acts is it shows all these little interactions. The Spirit has a clear agenda. The Spirit knows what He's doing. The Spirit has a plan. The Spirit is moving bringing salvation to the lost, bringing salvation to Samaritans, bringing salvation to Gentiles. And all of these humans that are sprinkled, these very real, somehow they, they, they just come off the page when I read it. They're just very real people. <laughs> they have to decide whether to obey the voice of God or to trust their own understanding. Their own read on the situation. Or their own prior experience. The Spirit's moving. Ananias has to decide. You're going to do what God says? Or are you going to stay afraid of Paul? Cornelius has to decide. Peter has to decide. All these people have to decide. There are some people here who decide not to go with what God's doing. Because of their partiality. So partiality, Scripture clearly calls it sin. It is, it is the deeper sin at the heart of what gets called racism or sexism or implicit bias. 
Right? All those things are, are trying to get at something, and they all fail because they're all just very narrow, narrowly viewed. The sin is partiality. The sin is, the sin is being a respecter of persons. The sin is having one standard for someone and another standard for someone else. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? The whole idea was that God came to eliminate distinctions. The time of the distinction between the Jew and the Gentile is over. The wall has been broken down. He has made of two one new man. Having broken down the dividing wall of hostility by his blood. Have you not then made distinctions among you? You're putting walls back up. And you're becoming judges. And God forbid that any of us ever become the judge. (laughs) Become the standard. So partiality or being a respecter of persons takes many different forms. Some are more visible than others. Some are more obvious than others. And some are, it it takes so many forms, and they're not limited to what the current cultural forces deem as unacceptable, right? I mean, racism is a great example. We all know that, I mean, racism is like the cardinal sin of being an American, right? You can do whatever you want, but don't be a racist, right? I mean, that's what the current cultural outlook is. That's basically rule number one, but it takes so many different, so many other forms and that are, I think, even more insidious and nefarious among the people of God. Respecting persons. Thinking you know who someone is by your read on their life. Whether it is the way they're dressed, whether it's by their personality, whether they can kind of charm you with their personality. There's lots of different ways we allow ourselves to treat people with different sets, sets of standards based on the way they make us feel or what they, what they say about themselves. And this is a, this is a really insidious problem. Um, in, in, a, in an age where I mean, we, really, we literally know people in many ways through their whatever they publish about themselves on the internet. We relate to them through what they've decided to reveal about themselves, and that's how we judge people. And it's not even a bad way. Oh, they must be a really happy person. Perhaps not. It's being a respecter of persons. So the Bible says in many, many, many places, it addresses impartiality, and it's under the category of justice. But it says in many places that we are not to be partial to the rich, but also we're not to be partial to the poor either. Because that would be being a respecter of persons too. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. That means... You use the same set of weights in your scales. Right? Proverbs says unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. You don't weigh one person in one way and another person in another way. 
Deuteronomy 1.17, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. The judgment is God's. So the point is this, and the lesson for the church is this. Partiality shuts us off to the move of the Holy Spirit. And it shuts others out from what God wants to do for them through us. God's desire is to reach people. And we need to decide and cry out to God that we would be a people through whom God can reach people. And not to inhibit and mangle God's desire to reach people by, put, by putting his desires and his commands through the filter of our own partiality. Right? You see this happening in, in several places in Acts 9 through 11. God's doing something, but partiality is in interpreting it in many different ways. And Ananias is unsure. Thankfully, he, he ends up obeying God and is a real minister to Paul. Now, this is the other cool thing about Saul and Cornelius. Saul was a Jew of Jews. Cornelius was a Gentile. It was hard for the Jews to wrap their minds around either of them being saved. There's just as much bewilderment and confusion about Paul's conversion as there is about the Gentiles. And God's teaching the church, I am moving. I am saving. I am speaking to people. I am commanding. I am giving opportunity. I am granting repentance. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. He knew he didn't deserve it. He's a... <laughs> I was the chief of sinners, but God chose to save me so that he could let everyone know that he can save anyone. Paul saw himself, a Jew of Jews, turned completely on his head. He was struck blind for three days. He had to come to the end of his own understanding. So partiality shuts off the move of the Holy Spirit. When we run, run God's desires and commands through the filter of our own respecting of persons, the, the move of God is inhibited. Uh, but when we obey God and when we love people with an impartial spirit, you see all the amazing things that happen. When we respond to the voice of God and the move of God, well, that doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it. God said it. It goes really well for those people. Even in the moment, I can't see. Now, now why would you have me go and, and get with this guy, Saul? I don't understand. He's, <laughs> he's going to drag me into prison. Do it. Do it. He ended up being the man that laid hands on Paul, that led to his baptism. What a guy, Ananias. He could have easily ducked out. Peter could have easily said, we're not going to do it. I'm going to have to run this by. I've got to go talk to James and the guys back in Jerusalem. This seems a little premature. This seems a little radical. Talking about killing and eating reptiles. I, I, I can't go that far. 
I haven't even eaten with a Gentile. Right? Much less sat down to our, our dinner of, of BLTs, right? I'm, I, can't, I can't do that. No, Peter says, hey, this is it. I'm seeing here that the gospel goes way deeper than I could have ever imagined. This whole thing about God tearing down the wall, about being a light to the Gentiles, that's all through the Old Testament. This is, this is for real. Like, this is, this is earth-shattering for real. So, the way, to, the way to avoid partiality and what we all need to, to submit ourselves to is the judgment of God. Right? This is, a, this is an often neglected part of the gospel, but it's all through the book of Acts. It is good news that Jesus is the judge because he's impartial. He's not going to give... He knows how to sort through the, the rich, all of their shenanigans. He sees right through it. But he also sees through the poor and their shenanigans. And he's not caught off guard by any of it. He is the impartial judge. Look at what he did. He did nothing wrong. He just loved. He laid down his life to love the people that God had called him to love. And he is now judge of all the earth. That's good news, and that's part of the gospel. This is what Peter points out. In chapter 10, when, he, uh, when he's talking to Cornelius. Uh, let's see where it is. Verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened for all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. This is the gospel. This is the straight gospel that he's preaching to Cornelius. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, and ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Hey, this is what Peter's saying. You know what? (laughs) If I'm on the judgment seat, this thing isn't happening right now. But God appointed Jesus as judge. Jesus says, Cornelius, if you will come, if you will bow your knee, you are a part of my family. Just as much as any Jew. Jesus is there. That's his judgment. He had already told Cornelius, Hey, I like what you're doing, man. I love your heart. I hear your prayers. Come, come and be, be a part of my family. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. But now Peter are saying, Peter is realizing, oh, and it's for you and you and all of you because Jesus is judge and he's, he's impartial and he loves 
the Jew of Jews, who's so zealous, just as much as he loves the Italian centurion and wants them both in his family, in the same family. What an amazing God. What an amazing gospel. Saul and Cornelius. And and the Holy Spirit is orchestrating all of this. And the church is having to get on board with what God is doing. And say, hey, if he wants to love him, if he is drawing him to himself, if he's giving Saul a chance, we're giving Saul a chance. You got to love Barnabas. Hey, (laughs) this this guy found Jesus. And I know you don't believe it. And he was the last person you'd ever think. But he found Jesus. And he found the same Jesus that we found. And so he is equal with us. This is the justice of God. This is the judgment of God in, in the family of God. This is the impartial family of God. So it's good news that Jesus is judged because we are terrible, terrible judges. I don't think that God minds judgment as much as he minds just terrible judgment. (laughs) When 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 Scripture says, don't judge each other, what he's saying is, you have no idea what you're talking about. Right? Judgment is a good thing. A clear account of who we are. And what our status is before the Lord. That's a good thing. It's truth. And when scripture says don't judge one another. It's saying. You all are helplessly partial. You better just leave that to God. You better leave that to Jesus. Because you're going to end up shutting everyone else out. Who doesn't look like you. Who doesn't like the things you like. You're going to shut everyone out. Who you think is just way beyond the help of God. But Jesus says, no, let me judge. Let me sort that out. You be faithful. You love the people that I bring into your life. And you love them impartially because Jesus does. So it's good news that Jesus is judge. We're so bad at it. We're terrible at it. The wisest, most perceptive person in here is a pretty terrible judge of humans. Humans are weird, weird people. Very complex. And only God can unravel that mess. We need to love them as God unravels that mess. Because somebody loved us as God unraveled our mess. Amen? So the Spirit, meanwhile, is moving in hearts. Is speaking. Is blinding people is forcing his way into trying to get people's attention, doing everything he can to give people an opportunity to grant people repentance. So the Spirit is moving and calling us to preach the gospel so that what he's speaking to us and what he's speaking to someone else can meet. And there can be a moment of, yes, God is among us. Welcome aboard. This is what evangelism is. This is how the kingdom grows. So the question is, are we going to obey his voice and preach the gospel? 
and be impartial? Or are we going to shrink back because of our own judgments, our own understanding of things? And we all have different kinds of judgments. Some people are really critical. Some people are really fearful. Equally judgmental. All right? A judgmental person doesn't have to be an overbearing person. Someone who's too scared to preach the gospel has judged that person better than me. Too scary for me. All right? This is partiality. Hear them all, small and great alike. And do not be intimidated by anyone because the judgment is God's. So this is a great story to show the Spirit clearly moving, speaking audibly, and to see what humans do with that when it doesn't fit in with their perception of the world, with their understanding of the way things go. Amen? So impartiality is the big lesson here for for the church then. God was having to reframe their minds of who's invited this dance. (laughs) Oh, wow. More people than we thought. And uh, so we need to let this scripture work on us and search us to see if, if, if we've put a barrier, made distinctions in any way. Um, so, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. And I thank you for your faithfulness, your impartiality. Lord, I thank you that... Uh, you, you loved us without respect to persons. You saw everything that was wrong about us. You saw everything that you liked about us. And you welcomed us to leave behind those things that were wrong and to really grow and embrace those things that were right. And so I pray that you would help us to be that kind of people. That we would, that we would obey the commission that you've given us more than we obey our own paradigm of personality and uh, social status and, and appearance and any other thing that gets in there and causes us to be partial. Uh, Lord, help us to, to not regard one another according to the flesh, but to see the Spirit, to, to, to move in the realm of the Spirit, to move in the realm of the heart, God. That's where your Spirit is working, and that's where you call us to go and preach the gospel. Uh, so equip us, Lord, in this coming year to, uh, to really be a, a church that powerfully shares the gospel with boldness, without hindrance, and without judgment, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.